welcome to This Speech Life, an audio course and podcast from SpeechTherapyPD.com, exploring all things related to school-based SLP practice. I'm your host, Caitlin Lopez, MSCCC SLP, a school-based SLP with over 10 years of experience. In each episode, we will cover three need-to-know aspects of the topic, two resources related to the topic, and one actionable strategy for tomorrow. Welcome, everyone. We are so excited today to have Martha Horrocks on with us to talk about all things school-age stuttering. My name is Caitlin Lopez, and I am the host of This Speech Life a podcast for school-based SLPs. I am a school-based SLP in Southern California. And like I said, I'm just so excited to have Martha here with us today. So let me go ahead and introduce you all to her if you don't know who she is. Martha is a Maine-based speech-language pathologist. She's the owner of Martha Speech and Stuttering Therapy, a private practice providing speech-language teletherapy for school-aged children. Martha is passionate about working with people who stutter and shares the latest research, treatment ideas, and resources with people who stutter, speech-language pathologists, educators, and parents on her Instagram page at Martha Speech. That's how I found Martha. I've learned so much from her, and I'm so grateful for the resources that she has. Before she gets started, I'm just going to read our disclosures. I'm Caitlin Lopez. I am the host of the podcast, and I do receive compensation for this episode from speechtherapypd.com. I have no relevant non-financial relationships to report. Martha is the owner of Martha Speech and Stuttering Therapy. She receives an honorarium from speechtherapypd.com for this episode, and she has no relevant non-financial relationships to report. All right. Well, thank you, Martha. Let's just jump right in. What are three things that we need to know about working with school-age children who stutter? All right. So, I know that stuttering is a topic that a lot of school-based SLPs in particular feel like they don't have enough information about somebody when you're working in the schools. I worked in the schools before I started my own private practice. A person or a kid who stutters comes across your desk maybe once a year, or you have a couple one year, but they're not frequent flyers on your caseload. So I think the most important thing that we need to know, even if we know nothing about stuttering or what to do with a kid who stutters, is that kids who stutter are looking to us to know that stuttering is a valid form of communication. So they are looking to see what language we use about stuttering. They're reading our facial expressions and our gestures when they're talking. And so the best thing that we can do, even techniques aside, everything, our lesson plans aside, the best thing we can do is make our spaces inclusive for stuttering. And some of the ways we can do this are we can just say stuttering. A lot of people say fluency or they say like, oh, you have bumpy speech or you know whatever else. But the best thing we can do is just say the word stuttering. We're not going to make a child worse because we use the word stuttering. That's a Scott Yaris quote. I won't take <laughs> credit for that one, but we can be upfront and honest about what's going on. And that helps to really take away some of the mystical elements of stuttering. It's just, that's what it is. The other thing we can do to make our spaces supportive for kids who stutter is to bring stuttering voices into our sessions. I don't stutter. 
And I know many other therapists in the school don't stutter. So it's so important for kids to be able to hear people who stutter in the sessions. I'm a big fan of using social media, obviously preview it first, but there's great Instagram accounts out there. And I'll talk a little bit later about stuttering organizations. That's a great place to look, but there's also people on TikTok who stutter, who talk about their experiences. You can see there's an actor in New York City named Mark Winsky who talks about stuttering. There's a teenager who talks about stuttering and her experiences going through the drive-thru, which, you know, our students are a little bit younger than that, but that might help to bring stuttering voices in the speech room. All right. So that's the big one. I'll reel it back in. The second thing that we need to know about stuttering when we're thinking about school-age kids is that stuttering is so much more than what we're perceiving, even for school-age. I think when we think about thoughts and feelings and experiences around stuttering, we think about adults who stutter and all of their lifetime of experiences communicating, but kids have those experiences too. And so we need to provide a space where they can talk about those other experiences. So Scott Yars and Seth Tishner did an amazing study. I think it was back in 2019, where they surveyed a huge group of people at a stuttering conference. And they asked, you know, can you describe stuttering for us? And what they found was stuttering wasn't just the repetitions and the prolongations and the blocks that we hear. Stuttering was also thoughts and feelings, what we call like the effective factors. Stuttering was also other behaviors like secondary characteristics such as eye blinking or shifting in your seat or even avoidance behaviors like leaving the room, avoiding, not raising your hand because you don't want to be called on. It was also cognitive factors, um, thinking about stuttering, anticipating that you might stutter. And it was also social experiences. So having a situation where you stuttered and, and the person you were talking to had a negative reaction or maybe a positive reaction, but a collection of social experiences. So it's a lot more than what we think of when we sit down at the table to do therapy, which is just those, like I said, repetitions and blocks. There's so many other pieces to go along with it. I've kind of gone on a little bit of a stuttering journey, if you will, in terms of what I learned from grad school and then taking, you know, additional continuing education units the last few years totally has rocked my world. And I've realized I've done everything wrong. And so what you're saying has been really validating. I'll let you get to your third point and then I'll go ahead and recap and ask you, you know, some other questions about your first two that you've made. And I was right there with you, Caitlin, when I started as a school-based SLP, I thought that stuttering was just those repetitions, blocks, and prolongations. And so that was all I focused on. And I've learned just like you that there's a lot more to it that I just described. The last thing that I think we need to know about stuttering, especially when it comes to school-age kids, but also adults or even early childhood stuttering, is variability. I think a lot of other areas of speech language pathology, we expect to work with a child and we just see them gradually make progress. But for people who stutter, they can have a day where their behaviors are one way and then the next day it's totally different or the next hour it's totally different. 
And the same with all those other factors. So maybe one day they're having positive emotions about stuttering, and then maybe the next day they feel really negatively or they are struggling with their confidence. And this happens for adults who stutter, who accepted stuttering and have been stuttering for a long time. But this is really important for school-age kids because often the parents don't understand that piece. And so they're expecting, even if you're working on self-acceptance when it comes to stuttering, or becoming a confident communicator, they're expecting that their child's just going to make that linear progress. And that's just not how stuttering is, both from just a like a biological, neurobiological perspective. It's extremely variable. There's a lot of different components that leads to somebody stuttering, but also just in their varied experiences throughout their day. So it's important that when we're writing goals, we're thinking about our sessions, that we're taking a more holistic approach, and we're not setting ourselves up for goals that are going to be really hard to obtain, particularly around the behaviors. And so we don't want to put ourselves in a due process situation. That would be like worst case scenario, obviously. (laughs) But I feel I have like heart palpitations thinking about that. But really being mindful that it's different. This is a person who is working on something that's very personal to them. And like everything that's really personal to us, it's going to go through daily changes. And so I think those are my top three. I think when I was thinking about three things to know about the topic, those really stood out to me. Awesome. Thank you so much. I'm just going to go backwards, I think. Sure. Because as you were talking about variability and progress not being linear, I was thinking about a student that is on my caseload now. I just recently was given a whole nother school. So I'm getting to know the students and this student has been chronically absent. And then all of a sudden he's coming to school. It's been very cold in Southern California, which is rare for us. (laughs) So I think that had something to do with it. But anyway, student, he's a first grader and his stutter is very noticeable. And the teacher, another student in the classroom has a one-on-one. And so the one-on-one comes to speech and the one-on-one was telling me, yeah, you know, it's getting worse. And, and she was talking about what her and the teacher were talking about in terms of my three speech students that were in the session together. And I thought, man, we really need to be better about teaching our teachers this language and teaching, you know, just everyone who's on campus working with these students that progress isn't going to be linear. And I really really love that ties in so well with your second point about stuttering is so much more than just stuttering. Cause as you were talking about it and things that I've learned from, I know speech therapy PD, I think December, 2020, they did a stuttering conference and it just blew my mind. And I was a part of that as a participant, not a participant sharing, but listening and learning. And two colleagues worked together and they created this whole community assessment about that kind of holistic thing that you were talking about. And that really, as you were talking, it was like, yeah, this is making sense. That's what Mary and Craig were talking about. I forget their last names in the moment, but that's exactly what they were talking about, about how we have to take so much more into consideration than just the stutter, which makes sense. Like, especially as I've worked with students over the last few years and noticing some days they have good days. And some days they have bad days. And yeah, I think that's really important. And I'm going to have more questions for you 
maybe after we get to resources and actionable strategies about some more things that we can dive into. When we talk about how stuttering is so much more than like the actual stuttering of the speech, but how you shared, you know, it's thoughts and feelings about their stutter. It's avoidance behaviors. It's thinking and anticipating about that stutter and then how that can impact them socially as well. And I think that's really important for us to remember. But then as I was reflecting on just the conversation I had earlier today. Wow. I really need to do a better job of educating this little guy's team, you know, everybody who's working with him. And then I loved how you are talking about creating a safe space. You know, our speech room is something where we almost celebrate stuttering, right? You know, we're celebrating it. We're saying it's valid. We're saying, look at all these you know, famous people or successful people or popular people on social media that stutter. I think that that's great. And that's something that I need to do a better job of, of bringing those people in. You know, I have found a couple of YouTube videos, but they're very dated. But I think how fun for these kids to maybe see, see a TikTok, like that's so relevant right now for them. So I really appreciated the points you made. And Also, again, educating our teachers on how we talk about stuttering. It's okay. We don't have to say that this student has bumpy speech. We can say he stutters and we can be upfront about it. All right. So let's jump into what are two resources that you have for us as we start to dive into this a little deeper. So I want to think about when I was a school-based speech therapist, I was all about free resources. Uh, we all have limited budgets. Well, I also do a private practice. I don't know why I'm acting like this is a thing of the past. <laughs> so I wanted, I wanted to think about two things that you could access that would be helpful for you. So The first one that I've found really helpful is actually another podcast. It's done by the Stuttering Foundation. I think it's literally called the Stuttering Foundation Podcast. Now I'm doubting myself, but it is run by Sarah McIntyre. She's a speech therapist and she stutters. And what I love about it is Sarah is an amazing host. She openly stutters on the podcast. I think that's so important for speech therapists, not just your students, but for speech therapists to driving in the car, just hear somebody's, you know, stuttering on your way to work. I think it's so important, so empowering, and it just gets your, I think for me, I don't know many adults in my personal life. I've met so many people professionally, but I don't know many people personally that stutter. And so it's really meaningful to be able to hear just adult stutter in my life. But she also has great guests. She's had speech therapists. She's had prominent researchers. It's a really thoughtful podcast. And they have a couple series on working with school-age children that I think would be really relevant. And like Speech Therapy PD, it's amazing to just into a podcast and absorb information that way. So I highly recommend that. The other resource that I wanted to share is there are a ton of stuttering organizations out there that provide a lot of really useful resources for school-based therapists. The National Stuttering Association, and there's another organization called Friends, particularly have free resources for children and families. The National Stuttering Association has free parent support groups on Zoom. They often also have speech therapy groups, speech therapy panels, information. Friends has monthly Zoom meetings for children, for school-age kids. 
And that is a great resource if you are sitting in an IEP meeting. I always like to do this after I've done the evaluation. And sometimes parents are like, oh my gosh, okay, stuttering. Wow, like my kid stutters. Where do we go from here? These are the kind of resources that I like to connect parents with. And I think you don't have to be the keeper of all the information as a speech therapist. I know we take a lot on, but there are these organizations that can help. They also have, you know, like pamphlets and different resources, and that can be helpful to the National Stuttering Association and friends in particular. They have conferences. Those are for people who stutter, but they're also welcome to speech therapists. And I've heard amazing things about those. So there are ways for you to connect your families with opportunities to learn more and to connect with other people. There's been a lot of research that has shown the importance of people who stutter connecting with other people who stutter. So part of What we can do for our students is not just help them in therapy, help them to process their experiences, but we can also connect them with other people who stutter and that can be life-changing. And so I think that's a really important resource. And I think something that I've done in my sessions, especially in May, National Stuttering Awareness Week is coming up. And then we have International Stuttering Awareness Day in October is check out some of these organizations and see if they're putting anything out that you think that your students might be interested in. Maybe just even knowing that these things exist, especially for your upper elementary or middle school, high school. Hey, what do you think about this? You know, like, look, there's a whole website about stuttering. There's another organization that has fantastic handouts, resources, And that is the British, it's called the Stammering Association because in the UK, it's stammering instead of stuttering. So parents and kids can get beyond that. I don't know who does their marketing and design and they're fabulous. And I've shared them with a lot of families. We were just talking about how to get teachers on board. They have stuff for teachers as well. Uh, You know, like they have pamphlets that are like, this is what stuttering is and how you can support your child. And your students in the classroom. So there's organizations that have done a lot of the work and you can lean on them for information to share with parents, information to share with your students. And you can also just pull up the webpage. Hey, like here's this stuttering organization in Britain. You know, what do you think about this? And so it's called STAMA is what it's called. And I feel like you could pull it up. They have a fabulous blog where they have people who stutter right in. Yes, Stama. And you can just pull up pieces of their blog and read it through with your students and see what they think about it, get their opinion on it, and that there's your session planned right there. So yeah, so just to recap the two or that podcast from the Stuttering Foundation and then Stuttering Organizations, the National Stuttering Association, Friends, Stama, obviously the Stuttering Foundation as well. Awesome. Thank you. Someone typed in that it's called Stutter Talk. That's what the podcast is. Oh, no. So Stutter Talk is actually its own podcast. Oh, Um, awesome. It's another one. Even more resources for us. Yeah. Stutter Talk is also another amazing podcast. 
And yeah, that's another one that I really love. I had particularly connected with Stuttering Foundation, but Stutter Talk is a very similarly themed podcast as well. So yay, another resource. That's great. Awesome. And I was just thinking as you were talking about that podcast by Sarah McIntyre, and if Stutter Talk is the same, you know, how important it would be for us as speech therapists to even sit and listen and notice our own discomfort with it. Because we don't have anybody sitting, you know, in front of us who's able to read our facial expressions or pick up on those subtle, you know, discomfort things that we can give off and how great it is that we can sit there, listen with it, figure out our own discomfort and kind of work our way through it that way. So we can totally be comfortable when a student stutters in front of us. Yeah. And also catching when you're starting to drift away and maybe if the person who is speaking has like a lot of blocks or prolongations and it's taking a little while. Are you able to follow what they're saying? Are you starting to think about other things or what you're going to say next? And then you kind of realize, oh, I am not really actively listening to this. And I wonder if in my sessions that happens too. And yeah, that self-monitoring piece, not for your students, but for yourself as the therapist, I think is really important. Yeah. As you were talking about that, That was what was kind of hitting for me. And I thought, man, I need to do that because I have had students in the past that their stutter was very noticeable and I really had to push myself to stay present and to make sure that I didn't break eye contact and all of those things. I mean, breaking eye contact, that's natural. You know, I didn't want to bore into their faces with my eyes. (laughs) super creepy, but breaking that natural eye contact or showing, you know, any discomfort or any loss in kind of what it was that they were saying. And so I think that that would be really helpful for me to just kind of keep doing a check-in and a self-monitoring self-reflection on that. So I'm excited about that resource. And then also Stutter Talk, which was shared by someone who's attending the Stuttering Organization and Friends, or the National Stuttering Association and Friends, those Zoom meetings and conferences. As you're talking, I thought, man, I can just kind of create a whole little folder of resources and then bring that to the IEP, like you said, and then I give it to them and it's on the parent. And I'm sure, you know, at the next year's IEP, okay, what resources have you learned to share with me that I can share with others too? I think that would be really awesome. I always tell parents to sign up for the newsletter. So go to the National Starting Association and sign up for their email newsletter. And you don't have to, or follow them on social media if they have that. You know, you don't have to engage right away. Maybe they're not ready to dive in and participate, but then you'll be up on, you know, anything that comes through any events and you'll just kind of dip your toe into the community. And that can be just so important in general. There's something coming to your inbox that is stuttering related and helps to break down that stigma around stuttering that often parents come in with. Like, look, there's this whole organization that's dedicated to this. And there's all these people out there who also stutter like my child or maybe like me as a parent. And so that can really help to support the parent in this experience. Awesome. I love that. Did you know that speechtherapypd.com has weekly live and interactive webinars? We are the fastest growing CE provider. Subscribe today to get access to over 750 different courses in audio or video format.
You know, I think so often too, especially when we're school-based, we forget about the family experience with it as well. And that the family might also be having an experience of coming to terms with my child will always have a stutter, you know, and also working with the family and meeting them where they're at and recognizing that families. There's a lot of education we have to do on our part and meeting families where they're at and not just shaming them into it's okay. It's okay. Your kid is fine. You know? Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, you can do all the self-acceptance work and all of the confidence building in your bubble at school. But if the child's going home and getting a lot of reinforcement that stuttering isn't okay or that they shouldn't stutter, then that's going to add to that social experience of the constellation of stuttering. And that's going to make it really challenging for them to feel valid as a communicator. And so we have to make sure that we're providing that education for the parents and the teachers. But I know school-based therapists are (laughs) busy and so much going on, such big caseloads. And so the IEP is a great time to say, hey, I, you know, here's some information for you to connect with and some opportunities. And if you're able to, you can also sign up for those newsletter alerts and forward them to the parents as you get them, if that would be appropriate and say, hey, I saw this and I thought you might be interested and go from there. But what I love about them is that they're all free. And so that can be a big obstacle for families is, you know, there's tons of amazing intensives and camps out there, but but costs can be really prohibitive. And so the fact that they're free, they're minimal commitment, you know, just joining a Zoom once a month, I think that can make a big difference for families. Absolutely. And I know I was working with a little girl when I was working for a clinic and she was the only little girl that she knew of that stuttered. And so when I started sharing with her, I think we were looking through a magazine. Is it the National Stuttering Association that puts out the magazine? I think you're thinking of the Stuttering Foundation. They have kids' letters. Yes. Yes. That's what I'm thinking of. The Stuttering Foundation, they would send magazines to the clinic. And so I grabbed a few and we were looking through and she's like, this is from a little girl. And I said, yeah, let's read it. You know, she feels this way. How do you feel about that? Do you feel similar? Do you feel different? Let's talk about it. And so even just recognizing that was so big for her that I really hope that, you know, if I was still working with her, I would for sure get them linked up with the Zoom meetings because I can see how that would have such a huge impact. Yeah. I was just thinking as you were talking, Kaylin, that if you're looking for videos of young people, children who stutter, the University of Texas has a speech program. I'm trying to think what it's called. I'll have to look it up. I didn't prepare that far ahead, but They have a fabulous Instagram where they feature kids who stutter that they work with. And they did this great series where it was like what I wish people knew about stuttering and the kids would all, they would videotape themselves talking about what they wish people knew. And what I loved about it is that they would share like their ages. So if I had a client who was eight years old, I could pull up the UT um, Austin video. Yeah. So they count as UT stuttering. It's the blank center with the University of Texas, but you could pull up the video and say, Hey, here's another eight-year-old stuttering. And it would just blow their mind. Like, wow. Like 
that's so cool. Or they might say, wow, I've never heard somebody else stutter. And I feel a little bit uncomfortable, kind of like we were talking about earlier, listening to people in the car. And that's totally valid too. Some kids, their reaction is, oh my God, do I sound like that? And so working through that as well, like you can see how maybe they've adopted some self-stigmatizing behaviors. And so say, wow, I like, I see there's some emotions coming up for you. Let's really talk about that. Let's think about what's coming up for you. And so those videos are really helpful. That's awesome. I love that. I know I did show a video at the beginning of my time at this school and one of the little boys I work with, he goes, oh, well, I'm not that bad, you know, compared to a student that I had shown in the video. And I thought, okay, we have some work to do here. And I love the question when I'm first doing an evaluation, I don't have access to the OACs at my district. So I've kind of created my own questions to really get some of those holistic pieces And I love the question, okay, so let's think of the smartest person in the world is over here. And, you know, I'll say point is a number 10. For those of you that are listening, I'll say, you know, the smartest person in the world is a number 10 and the dumbest person in the world is a number one. How about a person who stutters? Where do you think they would be closer to the 10 or closer to the one? Can you give them a number for me? I'll have them move their hands in between mine and then we'll talk about it. And that will give me a lot of insight too about what they think about stuttering without me asking, do you think people who stutter are good? Do you think they're bad? You know, it's kind of like, oh, well, let me think of it this way. I will ask them if they think I'll ask them those questions too. But sometimes we're socially trained, we know the right answer, right? Stuttering, especially if they've been in speech therapy with a more affirming therapist, they're going to say, oh, well, stuttering's good. Even if they don't maybe believe that themselves, right? Yeah. I was just thinking about how you said stuttering's good. And I think it's so interesting because I feel like the goal of speech therapy is for them to be confident communicators, right? Like that's all we do as speech therapists is like, We are trying to equip people, whether it's articulation, stuttering, whatever it is, AAC, to be confident communicators and to say what they want to say. So I think it's totally okay if they feel like value neutral about stuttering. Like, yeah, it's just something I'm doing. Or if they feel great. And they can also not feel great about stuttering. But if they feel like they can say what they want to say and they can be confident communicators, then we've done our job. And I guess that's what I was saying before about accounting for that variability is we wouldn't want to write a goal that's like, you know, student will feel great about stuttering. I don't, that'd be like a terrible goal. And I'm thinking, how would you measure that even? (laughs) Well, right. Well, I don't know with a self-rating scale. I don't know, but we wouldn't want to hedge our goals to decide how that person's going to feel about it. We just want to make sure that we're setting them up so that they make progress in terms of how they communicate, how confidently they communicate. But it is okay if they feel kind of passive about it or good about it, or on some days, you know, not so good about it. It's okay. But making sure that we're setting them up for that variability is important. Awesome. Thank you for that. Yeah. I should say like, 
that's never the goal of like, it's just giving me some insight about like, okay, how do we feel about this? What are some of the maybe messages you're getting about stuttering outside of yourself, I guess, is kind of why I asked some of those questions too. Somebody did put in the chat, the stamma.org, S-T-A-M-M-A.org. So I just wanted to share that with everyone. That is such a great, I'm also thinking too, how much fun that would be for students to see, oh, wow. Over in the UK, they're stutterers too, and how fun that would be for them to see that. And I especially love that there's the blog that you can go through with too. So thank you. There's so many resources. I feel like we got a couple of extra freebies with the UT Stuttering (laughs) and the other podcast. All right. So now that we've kind of thought about these things, there's the three things that we need to know, which are, we can talk about stuttering. We can say stuttering. We want to make sure that you can be one of the things that Kristen Camella said during that conference, which I thought was so powerful was she said, nobody's a perfect communicator. And I thought, oh man, that's so good to tell, you know, the kids I work with, it's okay. Nobody's perfect at this, but we are working towards that competency and feeling like we're good at communicating. And so making sure like your first point, making sure that our students know that stuttering is okay. It's valid. You can still communicate if you stutter and saying stuttering. I love that. And bringing those stuttering voices in. And then number two, stuttering is so much more than we perceive it to be. It's all of those other things you shared. And then that variability within stuttering, which can even be day to day or month to month, I think is really helpful. So as we talk about those things and you've shared your resources, what's the one thing that we can start doing tomorrow? So the one thing that you can start doing tomorrow is take that definition of stuttering. So that I was talking about, Yaris and Tishner said stuttering is a, I think they said like interrelated constellation. They have this beautiful imagery, but take that definition to your speech sessions and make it more age appropriate, depending on how old your students are, but really dive in. And I think you might be surprised or maybe not, who knows, but it's a really easy way to say, Hey, I learned this about stuttering that there are all these different parts of stuttering. Let's talk about the different parts and you tell me what you think. And so you can break down those sections and really what they're sharing with you is their insights into what stuttering is and what their experiences have been and who they are as people who stutter. And so you might find that maybe they have a lot of thoughts about stuttering. Maybe there's things that they, specific thoughts that they have about it that you weren't aware of. Maybe there's some emotions that come up that are big that you didn't know about, or maybe there's like just a teeny bit of, Hey, I feel frustrated sometimes. And you think, Oh, well, that's something that we haven't really been talking about or yeah, I feel embarrassed sometimes. There's different avenues that can start to come up that really inform your sessions inform your goals inform your therapy or maybe there's social things that come up that they haven't mentioned before that teachers haven't mentioned to you in the hallway they're like oh hmm, that's a situation that maybe we could work together on you could even draw it out like on a big piece of paper if if you're a visual person or your students are and you can decide okay wow, like look at all these things that are part of your stuttering experience. What would you like to talk about here? What should we work on here? 
and you can pick whatever bucket it is that you want to go to. And I think I really like starting that way. And even if you've been working with a kid for years and years, you can do this because maybe they will have insights like, you know, I used to feel really frustrated, but now I feel this, or I used to feel really angry about stuttering, but now I feel just a little angry about it or whatever it is. You'll learn a lot about their experiences to date, but also gain a path forward. And really, this is kind of leaning into a counseling technique and stuttering therapy has tons of inspiration from counseling, but the counseling technique is called solution-focused brief therapy. And essentially what it is, is saying, okay, let's say we pick that they're feeling really frustrated. So we decide, what would you like your goal to be? Well, I'd like to, when I communicate, I want to just focus on what I'm saying when I'm talking. Okay. And then you just kind of work back. What kind of changes would you need to make to feel that way? What could we try? What could we experiment with? And then you're starting to really follow their goals instead of what us as the therapist thinks maybe the goals should be. And I think for school-age kids, this is so empowering because they realize that like, hey, I'm in charge of my communication here. It's not what my therapist says. It's not what my teacher says. My parents say like, I get to decide what kind of communicator I'm going to be. And I can make changes so that I feel empowered. And there's things that I can do and I can experiment and be thoughtful about how I'm going to go about it. And that's like. For some kids, that really feels like they're very seen as people who stutter and communicators, but also that they have a path forward and suddenly therapy is like very relevant and very meaningful for them. And they're excited to tell you how the experiment went and things like that. So anyway, to summarize, (laughs) the actual strategy is to go through that big definition and see what resonates for your students and then see what avenues you can take from there and what doors you haven't gone through yet and see if there's something that you can unlock that helps them to feel more confident and more comfortable communicating. Awesome. I love that because that is kind of one of the questions that I was going to ask you about in terms of, okay, we know that stuttering is all of these things and not just the actual behavior So one of my follow-up questions after we got through everything was, how do we even go about goals? So I love this idea of just kind of putting it back. You know, we can guide them a little bit in terms of let's teach you what you're saying is let's teach you the definition. Let's unpack it. What do you notice in your life with your stutter? And what is it that you want to work on? And then we use that to guide our goals for our IEP or for our, you know, our therapy if we're not school-based. And I really love that. And I'm really excited. I can see students getting really excited about that. I had a student today that her IEP is coming up and I had a couple different goal areas and a couple different things I was thinking about. And I asked her, which one do you want to work on? And it like rocked her world and it wasn't even, you know, fluency related. So I'm thinking like, oh man, of course, like, why wouldn't I do this with all of my students? You know, she's older, she's a sixth grader, but I'm thinking that, yeah, absolutely. My eight-year-olds could handle sitting in the driver's seat of their own communication. So I love that. Thank you. 
Yeah. And you can make it, you know, more age appropriate. You don't have to use like big words. I mean, I've even said with like an eight-year-old, like, hey, I heard from other people who stutter that this is what stuttering's like for them. And I want to know if you feel the same way too. So you don't have to say like, you know, this is the definition. This is what, sorry. It can be like, Word on the street is people who stutter say, and I think like bring the other people in. Like, I don't know. I don't stutter. I'm not the expert. You know way more about this. Do you agree with these other people and help connect your student with other people who stutter? Like, this is what they're saying. Is that what you think? Like, you tell me, let me sit back and you can, you know, it doesn't have to be like thoughts and feelings. You can say, you know, some people who stutter feel, you know, really happy when they stutter. Some people feel sad. How do you feel? You can pull up like emojis, like point to which one. It doesn't have to be so, you know, like a standardized assessment. You can have fun with it. You can draw a speech bubble and say like, what does your brain say about stuttering or, you know, and make it more fun, but also more tangible for them so that they have more of those results. So they're not just looking at you like, I don't know what I think about stuttering. Like, (laughs) I don't know. And I find the more that I draw on other people, the better it goes. So I could say, you know, I heard that this person felt this way. What do you think about that? And help them make those connections so that they don't feel like they're the only person in the world who stutters and they're the only person in the world who's frustrated about it because that's just not the case. And so that automatically makes them feel a little bit safer and also like it's okay to be negative about something. Like I think a lot of kids feel like they have to put on this like, oh no, everything's good. You know, I don't want to disappoint anyone. I don't want to talk about hard things. But if you say, hey, you know, I heard you know, whatever, then they might be able to relate to that or they'll say, no, I never feel that way. That's just how that person feels. Okay. So that can be helpful too. Yeah. I can see how that is really helpful. The little girl that I talked about earlier at the clinic, you know, you just got an evaluation that got put on your schedule and that's what you did. And I remember asking, and the parent was there for the evaluation and I was asking her, Hey, do you notice that you stutter? How do you feel about it? And the mom immediately piped in and goes, oh, she doesn't notice. We've never talked about it before. And the little girl just kind of kept playing and didn't really answer the question. So I was like, oh, okay, well, this is something that we'll definitely address. Maybe not today, but another time. And then she ended up getting put on my schedule. And about three weeks after that, she was telling a story and she was having a hard time telling me the story. And then she burst into tears and she said, this stupid stutter. And the mom had said, you know, in that initial evaluation, she said, oh no, we never use the word stuttering. You know, we never use the word stutter. We never talk about it. I don't even think she knows she stutters. And then when she said this stupid stutter, and as you're talking about it, you know, giving kids these examples, I don't know that anybody might've even asked them, how do you feel about a stutter? And if somebody would ask me like a question about like, how do you feel about being a girl? I don't know. I've never really thought about it before. You know, I'm an eight-year-old, right? Because it's such a part of them that it's just there. And if nobody asks them, you know, of course their answer is, I don't know. But if you start sharing these examples of maybe from your blog posts or from TikTok, or I really love that idea of all the resources that you brought in and how fun and relevant it becomes for these kids. 
and just so much more meaningful. I can see that of asking them. And so, so the little girl burst into tears and said, this stupid stutter. And I said, I know I, but it's really frustrating, isn't it? And so she said, yes. And, you know, she took a couple of deep breaths and I said, I'm still ready to hear your story. You know, whenever you're wanting to tell me the story. And so she said, not right now. And we played a game. Then we came back and she said, okay, I'm ready. And she tried the story again. So, but it was hard because grandma was also in that session and grandma burst into tears when that happened too. And so it was, again, that reminder of, okay, I can send resources to the family. I'm sure it's hard to watch your child suffer. Yeah. And nobody wants their child to be frustrated, to have big emotions around anything, you know? And so I understand where parents or grandma is coming from. And I was just, this is a tangential, but I was thinking when you were mentioning about her feeling frustrated that like not every child is going to be ready to talk about this, is going to like hearing other people who stutter. And so it can be kind of a process and that's therapy in itself. And so you don't have to jump into anything. Maybe your goal is just to like, to be able to even just talk about stuttering, like just even to have them hear it in a sentence and it's okay. So a lot of times I will say, Hey, I saw something on my phone that I want to show you. And I want to see what you think instead of like, Oh, this person stutters like you let's watch it. You know? And I think thinking about to like, tell me what you think about it. Like, I'm interested in your opinion and putting them in the driver's seat, them in control of that experience for them to say, you know, I didn't like that. I didn't like hearing about it. And then you can say, oh, why? I'm so interested. Like, it's okay. We don't have to watch it anymore. Like the video is not important because now we've started the conversation. What is it about the video that bothers you? And yeah, so sometimes you just have to work on that perspective. And maybe it's because grandma cried in the session or when they get in the car and they go home, there's feedback about stuttering. And so maybe there's more work to be done with the community before the child can really show up and talk about it. But if you're a school-based therapist and you don't have access to the community, it can take a while. And that's okay. That's just where they're at. Just like building rapport, it can just take a little while for them to be open to the idea that stuttering is a part of their life and that they can talk about it. That could be a goal. Awesome. Thank you. Do you have specific like goal areas that you try to target? I mean, I know that you're kind of following kids, but I'm thinking in terms of like, I remember learning in grad school, we were just working on fluency shaping and that was it. And I was in grad school a little while ago. And then I've also learned like, okay, we want to teach them about the stutter and give them, you know, knowledge about the stutter. So there should be a goal area there. There should be a goal area maybe with like kind of what you were talking about, more of that social aspect or that, you know, cognitive aspect. And then there should be teaching them about strategies, but not necessarily that they can use the strategy, just that they know the strategy. So what are some kind of guidance that you can give us when we're like, how do we do this? Yeah, Yeah, there's so much. So everybody has like their own take on it. In my mind, I have like four areas that I've kind of sorted it into. And maybe this is just what works for Martha's brain, but I'll share it with you. The first area is around confidence. So working on them, like Chris and Camilla does a lot of work in this, like working on being a confident communicator, 
saying what you want to say and that kind of piece. So confidence is one area. Then I think of another bucket as being comfortable. So that bucket is like working on tension. Tension is like a huge piece of stuttering. And I think you can work on self-acceptance while also being like, hey, this tension is miserable when I go to talk. And what can I do to mitigate some of that so I can speak more easily? Is not you can self-accept and be like, this is uncomfortable. So working on that, I think the fluency techniques, the fluency shaping, starting modification techniques also fit in that comfortable bucket. And I think when you think of it that way, like, hey, these are things that are here to help you feel comfortable when you're talking. That's more approaching it from a holistic self-acceptance route versus like do this so you sound better. You know, like it, it just, I think there's a way to look at it that's really more approaching that goal of like you can stutter and be comfortable and be a great communicator. The other bucket is the self-advocacy bucket that you were just talking about. So this idea of like disclosing that you stutter, sharing with other people, being comfortable asking for, you know, hey, I stutter, I might need a moment, all that stuff. And the last one is the self-compassion piece, which is kind of similar to confidence, but is working on feeling okay as a person who stutters and a lot about around identity. And that's where connecting with other people's stutters is such a big part, but not being so hard on yourself as a person who stutters, accepting that variability that we were talking about before, that would be a big part of self-compassion. So you might work on introducing, and you can be really like liberal with this category, not like politically, but like very, it could include like doing meditation or just different techniques so that you feel good about yourself. You might pay pick things that you say to yourself that are kind, like mantras or all kinds of things like that, that help you to regulate, to feel good about yourself, to kind of like self-care things that I think kids are just starting to learn about when they're in school. What can I do for my body that feels good? You know, I've had this hard time communicating in my classroom. How can I take care of myself is a big piece of stuttering as well. Awesome. Thank you. That that's really helpful. And I appreciate that of just thinking about those. And I like how you labeled them buckets. Um, <laughs> I, I really like that because it, like you said, it just kind of helps me like, okay, I know that I'm going to kind of focus on these three things. I can maybe put confidence and self-compassion together and maybe a goal area. You know, I'm thinking of IEPs and that kind of thing. So, yes. so that was really helpful to think about. And when you said self-advocacy, I remember Glenn Waybright, he was one of the presenters for that conference. He said mm-hmm. his go-to is I stutter. Don't worry. It's not contagious. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> yeah. That he would use. And he said he had some others too, but that was his favorite. And I thought, oh yeah, that's right. The self-advocacy. Yeah, the catchphrase. Yeah. yeah. And the disclosing, disclosing. Okay. So we have a couple of questions from our audience. The first one is when using the modification or fluency shaping strategies, is your focus only on the percentage of the use of the strategy versus including the percentage of syllable stuttered? So I think what they're asking, how do you utilize those fluency shaping strategies? Yeah. So I'll be honest and say that Fluency shaping strategies and stuttering modification strategies are such a small part of my stuttering speech therapy. And so I actually don't really 
ever write a goal about these. And the main reason is because on any given day, when a student is using one of the strategies, we're going to experience a ton of variability. And so one day the strategy might be really, I guess, effective. They might be more fluent, but the next day they might not be as fluent. And that's just a natural variation and stuttering, whether they're using a fluency shaping or stuttering modification strategy. What I would rather write a goal about, and you could do it percentages, you could do it on a self-rating scale of like one to 10 is how comfortable did they feel when they were communicating? So maybe they started out as like a two um, in terms of comfortability and their goal is like a seven. They'd like to feel like pretty comfortable. Maybe they don't think they can get all the way there or whatever, but the fluency shaping and starting modification strategies might be like a tool that we use to feel more comfortable along with like maybe voluntary stuttering or something like that. But I'm not going to track how good they are at that. I'm just going to track the way that they feel as they're communicating. And maybe they use it and maybe they don't. And so I hope that answers your question. I know it's not really what you were looking for. And so (laughs) feel free to message me if you want to talk about it more. That's awesome. I appreciate that. I know Elise Lambeth, she calls it like her weird scale. Like how weird do I sound, you know, when she's working with kids. And I love that you address that too, because I have a student right now that, you know, sometimes we'll talk about fluency shaping strategies. We'll try them out. He'll define them and tell me, you know, what they are. And the one that he likes the most is in the stereotypical, like way that maybe we would, it's the one he's least successful with in terms of syllables stuttered. So he stutters a lot more with this one, but that's his favorite strategy. So he feels comfortable. So like, exactly. So we go with it, right? He's like yeah. and the one that he's the most successful with. He doesn't like it. He thinks he sounds weird. So we don't use it. Yeah. So it's not functional. He's not going to go out and use it. It's going to hold him back from communicating. And I guess Like when you're thinking about like what's successful, right? Successful is they raise their hand in class and communicate stuttering and all, right? They say what they want to say. That's the success. And so, you know, if we're saying successful, like you are really good at using a fluency strategy, we're saying, you know, you need to make sure that you're putting in a ton of effort and maybe changing what you wanted to say so that, you know, we deem it a success. Anyway, I could talk, this could be a whole nother. Right, right. But I love that you touch on that because that's exactly what the experience is with this particular student. He doesn't like it. We don't use it, but it's really fascinating to me because, and he goes, that's my robot voice. I don't like it. Okay. We won't use Mm -hmm. your robot voice. Love that feedback. Are you looking to move up on the pay scale? You can through speechtherapypd.com in collaboration with University of the Pacific. Start earning graduate level credits today. Courses are evidence-based and practical. Win-win. Check out speechtherapypd.com for more information on earning graduate level credits. Okay, so here is some other questions. This question is kind of a follow-up to that idea of rating skills. What self-rating skills do you like to use? It's a good question. So in terms of like standardized assessments, the OACs that you were talking about earlier, the overall assessment of the speaker's experience of stuttering, I think I nailed that, is a self-rating scale at its core. I mean, it addresses holistic areas, but it is, you know, something your school would have to purchase or your clinic or wherever you are. To be honest, 
I just make my own and you can totally do that. You can use like those buckets that I was talking about as a guide. You can talk about, you know, a self-rating scale for confidence. You could pick a specific, like how comfortable do you feel openly stuttering, whatever it is. It could be as small or as big as you want it to be. But at the end of the day, goals are just about measuring progress on a rating scale, right? So whatever is important to your client, whatever they are feeling like they need help on, you can make a self-rating scale about that and then use the same rating scale a couple you know, months, IEP season, whatever it is later. And so there are other rating scales out there that you can find, but I find that nothing's as, as catered as just making it up for your client. Again, I feel like I'm not really helping. No, I <laughs> think you are. I think you are. You know, you can create your own of one to five. Like this, yeah. I felt agony. And then number five, like I felt ecstatic. I don't know, you know, and right. just kind right. of, and you one can to five, emojis. hundred emojis. You could do, you could do anything and allow your students to be creative. I mean, if they're kindergarten, yeah, one to five works or thumbs up, thumbs down. You know, there's all kinds of ways that you can quantify a rating scale. Awesome. Okay. This next question, we'll take these two questions and then we'll kind of wrap up, I think is what we'll do. Okay. The next question, how do you treat or address the tension piece aside from laryngeal relaxation exercises? Yeah, the tension piece is so challenging. I think the big hurdle for school age is, is particularly younger too, is can they identify, first of all, can they wrap their mind around what tension is? And then can they find that tension in their body? So those are two big things to talk about. And you can, you know, like play with rubber bands, you can tighten and loosen things and work on tension that way. Once they've figured out where they hold tension, and it might not just be like in their larynx, but it might be in their shoulders and their arms and wherever. If you watch adults who stutter, you'll notice that often they have secondary behaviors that they do, you know, maybe they like flick their head. Well, that's creating a lot of tension in their neck and their head. And, you know, so there's a lot of different ways that they can carry tension. And really, really, it's just being mindful of, okay, like, I when I feel tense, or when I'm stuttering a lot, I feel really tense in my chest. And so working with the student, what can we do? And really, it's just like, breathing into that area, thinking about relaxing it, being mindful, just mindfulness in general about it is such a huge piece. And I do like, like I was talking about with the self-compassion, a lot of mindfulness, like the meditation, things like that. And thinking about like how to really be aware, bring awareness and then like, let that piece go. Yeah. That's what I do. Those are some really great strategies that we can use. And I just, Martha, all along the way, I've really loved how you've breaking these things down in such a way that I go, oh, oh yeah, of course, you know, but I didn't necessarily think of the idea myself, like that idea of like, yeah, you just think about, are they able to wrap their head around tension? Are they able to find the tension in their body? I'm like, duh, that's where we start. Of course. So thank you. You know, the way that you present information is like, 
we can do this. We have the skill, oh, yeah. set, even though, like you said, fluency and stuttering can be this really big, scary thing because, you know, our courses in grad school might not have been great. And then we only see these kids every couple of years or only one. So I appreciate that. All right. Caitlin says, I totally agree. She's a great teacher. <laughs> So thank you. you. There's been lots of comments in the chat about just how this information is. Oh, I'm so glad. Thank you. All right. Our last question. This might be too big of a question for this format, but I think it is actually a great question. Do you have any advice for working with a student who stutters, who also has an intellectual disability? He has a lot of frustration with his stuttering and is able to communicate but this participant is having a hard time finding resources for his cognitive and language level. This is so, I'm just going to commiserate with you because this is so challenging because when a person who stutters also has an intellectual disability, it can be really difficult for them to bring that self-awareness, but yet they are so aware. And so it's this like really hard, like loop of just like frustration, but like not understanding it on their part. You know, they feel frustrated, but they don't really understand why or what's happening. And they just kind of go around. And it's really hard as the therapist to everything that we've been talking about up until this question has really hinged on the child having self-awareness, the child being able to self-reflect. And when you get to work with a person with intellectual disabilities, you're like, oh, this is hard. I feel like the expert on this, the person that I would go to for help is Vivian Siskin and the Stuttering Foundation that I mentioned before. They have some great videos about some great professional development about stuttering in general and speech therapy, but there's one about working with people with intellectual disabilities And so I would defer to them. I wouldn't want to lead you down the wrong path. But I think when we're working with someone with an intellectual disability, we just have to meet them where they are, helping to support them with those regulation strategies, looking at like sensory regulation, like what happens when they're stuttering and they're frustrated? How can we help them to feel comfortable in those moments? And trying to work through that would be a good place to start. But yes, I feel your pain on that one. It can be really hard. And sometimes you're really just working on the basics of, okay, we're going to work on just helping you to feel comfortable as you talk and stuttering more easily. Awesome. Thank you for that. I know years ago, I had a student with Down syndrome who stuttered. And I know that that can happen quite frequently. And so, Thank you. It's also kind of validating to know like, okay, here's Martha, who's an expert and she struggles a little bit with this too. So thank you for giving us the resource of Vivian Siskin. We'll definitely check her out. Martha, this has been so, so, so great. You know, I just love the way that you share information, the way that you're reminding us about all the different ways to think about stuttering and to process and talk about stuttering. I'm just going to, can you recap your three, two, one, one more time for us? Sure. Yes. Okay. So, and I have my notes so that I don't get off track. So my three things to know about the topic were that kids look to us to know that stuttering is okay, that stuttering is more than what we perceive. There's a whole constellation of experiences that go into stuttering And that stuttering is variable and we have to account for that variability. The two resources were 
the Stuttering Foundation podcast, and then also just stuttering organizations in general. So the National Stuttering Association and Friends as a way to connect parents with support groups and resources and also connect teachers and connect yourself. And then one actionable strategy we can use tomorrow was working through the definition of stuttering as a way to guide your therapy and your future sessions. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh my goodness, Martha, you've given us so much to think about and I'm excited to jump into my caseload tomorrow. I hope everybody else is too. We might just have to do another follow-up because I feel like there's so much more to unpack. So (laughs) thank you, Martha. And everyone else at the conclusion of today's course, please log into your course portal on Speech Therapy PD and complete all modules, especially the one entitled Quiz and Survey to get your live CEUs for today. All right, everyone. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Each episode has an accompanying audio course on speechtherapypd.com available for 0.1 ASHA CEUs. Use the unique coupon code for listeners of this podcast, LIFE20, for $20 off an audio course subscription. Audio course subscriptions give access to all existing and new audio courses from speechtherapypd.com. Again, use the code LIFE20 to access more than 200 hours of audio courses for $59 a year. Visit speechtherapypd.com slash life for more information and start earning CEs today. Thanks for joining us at This Speech Life. Remember to go to speechtherapypd.com to learn more about earning ASHA CEUs. We appreciate your positive reviews and support and would love for you to write a quick review and subscribe.